few minutes ago in the staff dining room where we're often, teachers are often meeting and taking care of details. Um, I think it was Carol, but one of the teachers said, it isn't easy being a human being. <laughs> so this is an interesting predicament, you know, that's, that's clearly the case. I mean, it's clear at least some of the time or most of the time. And then maybe when things are working out well, we forget it for a while. And we remember, oh yeah, it isn't easy being a human being. It isn't easy being sensitive, having a sensitive heart. Moment by moment, experience arises, impinges. We're touched by our thoughts, our memories, by what we see, what we hear, everything really. There's no off button. Wanting an off button is just the next thing that touches the heart. Next thing being known. So tonight I want to talk about this um, place and awareness practice for metta or love. Uh, There was a question in the hall a couple days ago about this. And I I feel I've learned in my own practice how important it is just both um, as an essential part of the process of awakening, really one of the, I think, essential factors in the stabilizing of awareness, this presence of metta or the different qualities of love. There's an old... um, teaching in the tradition. I'm not quite sure if it goes all the way back to the time of the Buddha. I think it's in the suttas though, where they're describing the relationship between tranquility and insight or tranquility and calm and wisdom. And they use the simile of a honed and heavy axe. Honed means really sharp axe, honed, or, uh, and then there's the heft the heaviness of the axe. And when you have both, you can cut down a tree with that axe. And I think metta, this is similar to the relationship that metta, loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, the different flavors of love really bring to the awareness practice. It it provides the grounding. It really allows for intimacy. It provides the safety that makes it safe enough to open and to connect and to sustain wisdom. So in in a way, love is that weight, that grounding. It's funny because we often in the tradition refer to the qualities of love as the boundless or immeasurable qualities. And if you do them as formal practices, they can become very radiant and spacious and um, used in the tradition, at least in some places, to begin the reflection on emptiness. But it's really this, it's actually, even though that might seem the opposite of the heaviness of an effective axe, that boundless or immeasurable quality, that 
that quality of boundlessness is really, and this is what I'd like to talk about tonight, it, it really has that flavor of inclusivity, like metta, love, is that capacity to include. Somehow sensing the capacity to include, like this belongs, that, em- that quality of embracing the present moment. So we've been talking a lot about how the path, both working with difficult experiences that arise and working with insight and beautiful experiences that arise, that all of this we understand as a natural process. Things are arising and passing as a natural process. And the qualities of love are what really allow us to include, to get close in order for insight to happen. We have to be close. We have to be intimate. As one teacher says, the path is this marriage of intimacy and non-grasping, intimacy and letting go. And they depend on each other, right? The, The letting go comes from seeing things, from being intimate, And the more letting go, the more non-attachment, the easier it is to get close. And in a way, the easiest way to get a real taste of non-attachment is in those moments where love is strong, right? Because think about sometimes in your life, maybe even on retreat, sitting in the dining hall and there was just a a wave of gratitude or a wave of appreciation for the other retreatants on the retreat or appreciation for the delicious meal that was put out for us. In those moments, it may not have lasted long, right? But in those moments, the, hearts has, the heart has less, let go of negativity, right? I mean, when love is strong, any of the particular flavors appreciation or compassion. It's a temporary liberation from aversion and hate and fear when we have a strong, an ordinary, not like an extraordinary, that something that only happens to saints, but an ordinary experience, like something we might actually bump into. We see a squirrel collecting, well, not this time of year, but you know, just a squirrel out doing its thing. And the heart can be moved, especially when we're on on retreat. We tend to be more attuned and more sensitive to ordinary things that what's extraordinary in those moments isn't what the squirrel is doing. The squirrel always does those things. But it's really what's extraordinary is the capacity of the mind to be intimate, to really show up. Now, of course, we can spin off and start telling stories about how amazing the squirrels are at IMS and <laughs> how you're going to come back and you're going to bring you know, the best hazelnuts or the best this to feed these special squirrels at IMS. And all of that is attachment and greed and maybe aversion too. But that initial moment you know, where the heart dropped because it's really more about what's not there. You know, there is something that arose when the heart included 
you know, connected, opened, right? There was no aversion in that mind moment, in those moments. And part of what we're training ourselves to do is to notice those moments. And the whole path is this feedback mechanism, really. So we've talked about wisdom in different ways already on this retreat, like this capacity because of the stability of awareness to begin to discern what's skillful and unskillful, and then the more subtle and ultimately liberating understanding, you know, with the stability of awareness to discern that everything is in motion. Everything is this movement that we call a natural process. That the framing of it as personal, belonging to me, about me, is really unnecessary. It really can be seen as a just this activity of mind and body, this impersonal, natural process of mind and body in motion. So love, the arising of these qualities, they're also a natural process. Like the Buddha says, the more that wisdom grows, the natural like expression of wisdom are these three wise intentions, which he names as the heart's willingness, the heart's movement toward renunciation or generosity, non-stinginess, certainly has flavors of love, right? The second intention that naturally flows out of the deepening of wisdom, the deepening of understanding is kindness. Hearts moved, it sees, like as wisdom develops and the mind discerns how conditioned, you know, through habit, the mind is to be aversive, to be greedy, to be disconnected in denial or whatever, and how much suffering that sets in motion, right? The heart is moved to be kind. Oh, honey, be careful. Don't go there. Don't do that, right? So kindness is born out of a deepening of understanding. And the third intention the Buddha names that just naturally flows out of the deepening of wisdom is compassion, this deep valuing of non-harming, not wanting to be in a way that contributes to more suffering for myself or for others. So it's such a relief that we don't have to sort of try to be kind or try to be compassionate, but we're cultivating a lifestyle really, we're cultivating qualities of mind that deepen wisdom. And that deepening process then grows these beautiful intentions of generosity, renunciation, kindness, and this deep resonant um, intention not to harm, to be compassionate in how we engage the world. And you can probably sense, I hope you sense how this understanding, like really letting that land, the Buddha didn't name 10 wise, wholesome intentions that flow out of wisdom. 
Those are the three he named. It's just interesting because often wisdom and the deepening of understanding has kind of a cool flavor to it, you know, because there is a lot in the development of wisdom where we see how the mind can deconstruct experience. I think I mentioned the other night that one of the teachings outside of Utejaniya says often is how wisdom loves causes. Wisdom really tunes into how has this come to be? What, given the seeds, given the qualities that are present, what's getting set in motion, right? So it's deconstructing things into this conditional, lawful, conditional, natural unfolding, right? We say causes and conditions. And metta, loving kindness, has this different movement. It's, like I mentioned, more of an embracing, a big, moist yes to the way it is, where wisdom has can have more of that flavor of coolness and maybe dryness, right? But there's something about that dance between those two qualities of saying yes, even though this is a natural process, yes, even though it's changing, yes, even though attachment hurts, yes. I mean, really, didn't you, haven't you found this to be true? Like, as we understand just naturally from paying attention what's skillful and unskillful, it doesn't help to say no to the unskillful. Or usually, maybe mostly, it doesn't help to say no. What really helps is that understanding, yes, it's like this now. In a perfect world, this unskillful quality wouldn't be arising in my mind. I wouldn't be anxious. I wouldn't be judgmental. I wouldn't have this self-hatred or this shame right now. But given that it's here, second best thing is to say yes. It's like this now. It feels like this. And you know, we can call that awareness practice, but we can also call that love. You know, that capacity to say yes, to include something. What is that quality of mind or those qualities of mind that allow us to be intimate with the conditions just as they are? Sometimes just to be a little provocative, and I think it's useful, I talk about, you know, to be a good practitioner, I, we have to be the walking wounded. We have to acknowledge our brokenness. And I really see this as a natural um, unfolding from the deepening of insight into dukkha, into the limited and unreliable and uncertain and unsatisfactory nature of all of our experience. Even our retreat right, is unreliable and uncertain. And Alexis has mentioned about the uncertainty of his evening time back in his place where he's staying. <laughs> right, anything can happen and does happen on these retreats. And love is this uh, ability really to like, learn how to show up. It's like necessary. The qualities of love are necessary 
to really show up in the world we actually inhabit. That was so beautifully expressed in the poem that Carol read. I forget if it was your first talk or last night from Isa, the the world of do is a world of do and yet, and yet. Right, so it really speaking to that wisdom point of view, the ephemeral nature, the impermanent nature, like of a drop of dew. And yet, right, and yet our heart is touched and moved by maybe the beauty of the dew when we walk outside, you know, and we see that or the frost we might see or other things like a sunset. It's such an interesting time at IMS given we have this exposure to the sunsets, not that we've seen much of the sun. (laughs) Glad you can laugh a little. (laughs) There's some love in that too, actually, right? That we can, it's like, right? Because even if the weather has been unpleasant, which I'm guessing it has been to some of you and maybe most of us, and, uh, but there's some warmth in that laughter, right? That's like where we can actually include that and that it might even continue for the next few days. <laughs> <laughs> so is that love or is that hate? I mean, look. <laughs> Well, there's hate there, but but we're holding it with love. (laughs) Or disappointment, you know, met met with this boundless heart that knows that things are the way that they are. (laughs) Including the beautiful resolves of bringing more sweaters next time you come on retreat. And why didn't they leave at least one working fireplace in this big old mansion? <laughs> but there's something about like the and yet, and yet that, that brokenness, right? Like how the retreat, wherever, however it presents itself that the retreat isn't perfect, whether it's the weather or there's some other thing that's pushing buttons. And that's the, like, here we made the effort and, you know, it's not easy to put aside the time and get ourselves here and, and then things don't work out. And there's an alchemy where the, the brokenness itself can become something beautiful as I think, I uh, forget if Carol mentioned in the introduction, but at Common Ground in Minnesota, we purchased some land, an old farm really, about five years ago, and we're just now in the middle of a big renovation, making a small retreat center, just like 10 to 15 beds, so n- nothing big. But we built in this little altar that you see when you walk in the main entrance. It's really beautiful and um, we're not sure exactly what's going to happen there, but it's it's really meant like it's going to be an altar that's hopefully will inspire this sense of compassion and the wisdom 
and tenderness. And uh, one person who's been a longtime leader and 10 years into her cancer and uh, sort of stage four cancer, just sort of a miracle that she's still alive. But she's been into this. Some of you know, I'm forgetting now the, the name of this Japanese pottery where if a beautiful piece of pottery breaks, then the artist takes the pieces and uses a seam of gold to hold all the pieces back together. And then over the centuries, it's become this really um, beautiful art form of how something that's broken can become even more beautiful. And there's something really wise about that because I'm sure you've noticed being on retreat, even having a so-called good retreat, you know, where there's enough calm and you're not having the ceiling drip on you or other sort of big irritants. There's something, you know, tenderizing about the process of being on retreat. Sometimes I say that awareness, you know, and especially the continuity of awareness, it's really the universal solvent in the way that water, which is, you know, by nature very soft and moist and life-giving, but it has the capacity to, you know, cut the Grand Canyon out of stone a mile down about. And there's something about just, you know, in all the moments, there's that simple recognition. This is being known. It's like this now. It's like we're bathing in this solvent, stripping away the armor. And we begin to experience our life this activity of the body and the mind in a very tender way. And so this is why we often, sometimes we're surprised, you know, tears just flow or rage just moves like a big wave just for a while through us. Something just, something maybe in hindsight later was small, but it just evokes so much anger so much fear, so much this, so much that, but the beautiful and the painful emotions. So we get really tender. And love is really the different flavors of love. It's very comfortable in this territory, right? Like when we are that person that's raw, we want somebody who's very comfortably very comfortable with love. And if they're not, we don't really want them around us when we're in a difficult place. We want somebody whose heart isn't confused by a human being who's feeling and experiencing what human beings feel and experience. Right? And that, I think, we call love. And sometimes it's expressed more as equanimity, this sort of unshakable balance, but not cold, not indifferent, but more like a wise old grandmother who's seen it all many, many times, right? And has had their heart broken so many times that they're not afraid of having their heart broken one more time or not afraid of something out of the box. And sometimes that quality has more the sort of tender, compassionate, like, 
honey, if there's anything I can do, I'm going to do it. But right now I'm just going to show up. I'm going to hold you with or without touch. You know, I'm going to be here. And I'm not afraid of your suffering. I see it. I sense the pain. But I'm not afraid of it. Or just friendliness. Or people who can really appreciate goodness and joy and appreciate success. Don't have their own issues with our success. So these are these qualities really, like if we're gonna, if, if the awakening process based on this continuity of awareness, right? If it really is this marriage of intimacy and non-attachment, non-grasping, then we need these qualities of love to be intimate. To include to not be afraid. So just uh, not to feel badly about it, but just to ask yourself, you know, like today, have I noticed some of these qualities in the mind? Because we're here with the intention to remember, to recognize. It's like this, this is being known. So have we noticed some of these wholesome attitudes, wholesome emotions of love? And if not, is it because they haven't been present or that we haven't developed the skill to notice these wholesome qualities? And again, you could use the four Brahma Viharas of loving kindness, that basic friendliness, that the heart is capable of, compassion. So when that basic goodness of the heart runs into suffering, it's expressed as compassion. When what's arising is something beautiful, it expresses itself as an appreciative joy. When maybe it's ambiguous or the moment is confusing, it expresses love, expresses itself as equanimity. So are we noticing those wholesome qualities or the three intentions I mentioned before of generosity and kindness and this beautiful intention of non-harming, compassion. Because if there is some continuity of awareness, then there's some wisdom close at hand, right? The discerning part of the mind, the mind that sees things as they are. So if that wisdom is present, even to some limited, in some limited way, then those intentions are there, those wholesome intentions, those wholesome qualities. And what we've learned is it really matters what we pay attention to. And it's not just like part of what wisdom does in awareness practice is it's discerning like the conditional nature, the natural process of the moment, right? And part of that discernment is it matters what I pay attention to. So if we have this low-grade anxiety that, you know, we assume have that, that anxiety, the fact that that anxiety is there, that it has causes and conditions, right? It's just not a random thing. And we're aware of it. Oh, yeah, anxiety's like this. 
But, you know, the attention, just the habit energy might be to like keep looking at the unpleasantness of the anxiety. But wisdom begins to discern like what that sets in motion. And this is really nice, like to see, well, what else might wisdom awareness notice? Like that I care about it or like I began to talk, you know, it's not easy being a human being. It's not easy having this background of anxiety reverberating in my gut or my heart. It's not easy noticing the unpleasantness of this. I care about this and noticing that. And it's not so much something you or I need to do as much as it might be something that we recognize but it may not be the dominant or predominant thing in the mind in that moment. It may be sort of skirting around the edges, right? So one of the reasons for a talk like this is, um, you know, to become curious about what's here and now, but not being acknowledged. What qualities of the heart, qualities of the mind might actually be here? I mean, we've been on retreat now for several days. Wisdom has been developed. These these intentions naturally flow out of the deepening of wisdom, the capacity to be generous, to let go of renunciation, the capacity to be kind, intention to be kind, the intention to take care, to not harm, to be compassionate, to respond to suffering when that's appropriate or when it's available. So see what you can do, you know, in the days ahead, just to be curious about them. And you can, I've been mentioning in the small groups, you know, it's really okay to drop from time to time a question in the mind. Is there kindness present? Is there aversion, fear present? And, and the, you know, amazing thing, I mean, this is really the nimbleness of loving kindness. It's like, and, and also I think it points to how kindness is naturally working with the wisdom awareness, right? It's, it's one of those ingredients that arises. We, I don't know who started it, but it's been said by some of my teachers, you know, when mindfulness, when wisdom awareness has some momentum, all the good friends, all the wholesome qualities start to gather around. It's really sort of part, it's like part of the nature of being mindful and wisdom discerning what's skillful and not skillful. Because part of what we discover by paying attention is Noticing kindness, noticing compassion grows it. Not because I'm trying to grow it, but because I'm being intimate. I'm recognizing, oh yeah, there's this quality, this tender-hearted quality. It's not easy being a human being, and I care that it's like this now, that there's this feeling being felt now. And of course, and I think you know this, but just because I'm saying those words doesn't mean you have to say those words to have that experience, right? Mostly that's done, of course, in silence. 
but just to share, you know, for my own practice, I have to articulate it in words. Oh yeah, this heart cares. There's tenderness here. And this tenderness supports connecting, being open with what's coming and going, what's moving here. It supports the clarity, the intimacy, and then the letting go. Because the the letting go also isn't something you or I do. The, The dropping, the abandoning of unwholesome qualities, reactive patterns. We may think that I put that down. But when we observe over and over again, we see that the letting go, the abandoning happens naturally and the supporting cause for the letting go is being intimate and seeing clearly what it is. Seeing clearly allows for letting go. And you might imagine, and you probably have learned, it takes a lot of patience. We were talking earlier today about a a really wonderful teaching that um, Ajahn Sumedho's teachings on the Four Noble Truths. And uh, I really, one of the things I really appreciate about this, it's just like 50-page booklet you can get online, is him talking, how he talks about the second noble truth, how suffering, how attachment is let go of. And it's really like this loving presence that sees that there is attachment and discerns this attachment that I'm seeing, that I'm feeling, is the cause of suffering, right? Being attached, being identified, that sort of scream, no, I don't want it like this. And the mind, the wisdom, the wisdom awareness just sees that, that there is attachment to desire, right? And it is the cause of suffering and it should be abandoned. So it's just seeing all of that. That's the discerning process. Oh yeah, this is not helpful. Did you have moments like that today where you saw something the mind, some loop the mind was stuck in and there were moments where the mind had some clarity. Oh yeah, the mind's stuck. The mind's attached and this is causing suffering. And all of this should be put down. But we didn't neurotically with greed or with anger, try to get rid of the attachment. We were just really patient, really doing our practice, which is being aware that it's like this now. It's like this now, the mind's suffering, the heart's suffering, there is identification, there is attachment, there is the natural feedback loop when there's attachment, right? We call it cycles of suffering, samsara, where how the mind is relating, sets emotion the next moment where there's more of the same, attachment, clinging, grasping, struggling with the moment. But there's also this patient, kind, compassionate recognition. Oh yeah, this should be abandoned. This isn't helping. This should be abandoned. And if we hang in long enough and there's enough stability of awareness enough seeing clearly that this should be abandoned. This isn't helpful. So the mind is really discerning the unskillfulness. Then letting go happens. And we have a little freedom where something, some entanglement drops away. And then confidence builds. 
And this is really the alchemy of our practice, this coming together, this stability of awareness. And the point I'm making in this talk tonight is to get really interested in how the stability of awareness really benefits from training the heart to recognize these beautiful qualities, these three wise intentions of renunciation and kindness and compassion or the four Brahma-Viharas. They're just two different maps the Buddha used covering these really beautiful attitudes, intentions, qualities of the heart. You know, there's a lot, I think there's a lot of shadow to what, how we hear about metta, even, you know, and loving kindness, you know, generally, but I think also in the Buddhist world where it, it can sound like the teachings are telling us to take a stance, you know, or to pretend to be kind, fake it until you make it kind of thing, you know. But if you've ever been around somebody who's faking it until they make it, you know, we don't want to be around somebody who's kind, trying to be kind, or trying to fit that image. So the, the practice, you know, just in my own studying of my own heart and learning from my teachers, it really is this awareness practice. It's just a more... Uh, an awareness practice with a, a particular focus, like noticing love, noticing the different flavors of love, and being interested. Oh, just like we do with aversion and with greed. I mean, it's interesting how we feel so comfortable in when we're talking with our Dharma friends, you know, sort of licking our wounds and talking about how we saw this defilement and that defilement and, oh boy, you wouldn't believe the conceit that arose and, you know, and how much restlessness. I was just, you know, out of my skin and, oh, I was so dull. I mean, it's like war stories when we talk about our, the defilements, the unwholesome qualities of mind. Now, just imagine if over the years of our practice, we have spent just as much time talking about recognizing these wholesome qualities of love. And the thing is, we could do this in non-Buddhist circles too, right? And so just, it would be a different world if that were one of the primary topics of conversation. Oh, you wouldn't believe it today. You know, I was cooking myself breakfast and my heart just kind of broke open, you know, and (laughs) I thought of the chicken that laid this egg or something like that. But it would get normalized after a while. It would be very beautiful. And there's just so many things to appreciate, the people who sewed the zabotons, Right? Or that all of us made it here and have stayed here. I mean, there's any number of things, like how much generosity has gone into making IMS what it is today. People like Carol and others who were here in the early days know how much it's changed. (laughs) 
even in my whatever it's been, 25 years or so, maybe a little bit less of coming here, you know, it's just huge changes. And all because of, you know, wise folks, generous folks, people really trying to set something good in motion. And it isn't like the practice changes where now, okay, now I'm supposed to notice this. Just in the normal space of awareness. See, we don't realize that what the mind knows, what the mind recognizes in any moment of awareness is already being determined by habits. Why would we suppose that those are good habits? Right? Because a lot of our habits is to notice what's difficult to notice what's wrong. So part of the corrective process so that the mind, the knowing mind, can be really actually balanced and open and seeing things just as they are, is we have to um, cultivate some interest in things that we might not otherwise be seeing. This is one of the reasons that it's useful to read and hear Dharma talks is because you might hear some things that are there in your experience but have been mostly unnoticed because the mind isn't in the habit of recognizing or noticing those phenomena, those aspects of your experience. So then somebody gives a talk about the defilements or the hindrances Or somebody gives a talk like Carol did last night about impermanence and some of the other insights, the sort of underlying nature of experience that start to come online when there's enough stability, continuity of awareness, right? And then it makes it uh, more likely that the mind can notice and when it notices, can normalize it as just a natural process, just something, another, there's an article I really like written by Ajahn Amaro. Some of you know him. He's one of the senior monks in the Thai forest, Western tradition, the abbot of Amaravati in England. But recently, I don't know, maybe five years ago, wrote an article called Just Another Thing in the Forest. So these insights, just another thing in the forest, the, the defilements, just another thing in the forest. And even the beautiful qualities of love, just another thing in the, the forest. Because we're counting on the awakening process being a natural process. But it depends on one essential supporting cause, seeing things as they are. And so what actually helps us be close, be intimate, This is from Sayada Utejaniya. You have to accept and watch both good and bad experiences. You want only good experiences. You don't even want the tiniest unpleasant experience. Is this reasonable? Is this the way of Dhamma? So part of it is just noticing what our habits are and uh, in terms of what the mind tends to recognize. And those biases, they're, they're there to be noticed, right? This sort of catastrophizing mind. And when there isn't a catastrophe to notice, what's our experience? 
boredom. Or we catch our mind kind of going through the files of past experiences, looking for a catastrophe to bring to mind, some old wound or something like that. So it's important that we watch out for any kind of imitation. And that's why I think I mentioned the other night when I was giving a talk that it can be useful to contemplate love as the absence of fear, the absence of aversion, the absence of that manipulating, controlling mind. See, it sounds a lot like awareness when it's in balance, doesn't it? Because awareness doesn't manipulate. And if there is manipulation going on, awareness, wisdom awareness has that capacity to step back and recognize the manipulation, the being strategic, trying to make something happen. We catch this a lot with physical pain, don't we? It's like initially we think I'm being aware of the pain in my knee. And then, you know, when there's a little bit more stability, we realize I really want it to go. <laughs> you know, there's some aversion there, right? But then, right, to, like to be able to recognize the aversion means the, because the awareness isn't averse. So in a way it's, I mean, it's hard to talk about exactly. It's not so much that it steps back, but it's able to hold it, to see it. And in a real sense to be touched to feel the effect of that controlling, wanting the pain and the need to go away. And, and that, having that stability of awareness does in a little or big way break our heart open a little bit. Right? That's what allows for the continuity. Oh yeah, it isn't easy being a human being with a body sitting still, with a knee that's of this age, that's done this much work in this life, It's not easy. And sometimes it hurts like this. And if I'm going to sit, if I'm going to continue to sit, you know, then this tender-hearted appreciation and compassionate meeting of the experience is really useful. And see how it's different than that misunderstanding of equanimity that we imagine is standing apart It's like the real expression of wisdom and love is the not being afraid of being in the middle, not being afraid of being touched by life. And we have so many examples, including the poem that I read, that Carol had read, that and yet, and yet, is really sort of not getting confused that things are just a drop of dew very ephemeral, not using that as a kind of ground. Well, then nothing matters. So I don't really need to be touched because nothing matters. Well, if nothing matters, maybe it's okay to be touched. Maybe it's okay to feel what we feel. Maybe it's, it's like let things come in and keep going. So we're not holding, we're not making a drama of what we feel, but we're learning to not be afraid of being a sensitive human being. 
that has emotions, that feels pain in the knee, that is moved by beauty. You see this, you know, in, in circles of, of uh, life is rough. And this, in a way, I think it relates to the Buddha's insight in his own practice where he left the folks he was practicing with for a while because he saw that asceticism was a dead end in and of itself. Neglecting the body, neglecting sense experience, you know, food can lead to attachment, so I'm going to really eat as little as possible. And he came, he decided that certainly indulging, thinking that sense pleasure is going to make us happy, may be a dead end. But being a sensitive human being and thinking that we can find real happiness by denying the sensitivity, that also is like making that the strategy for awakening was a dead end too. So that's what he meant by the middle way. And I I feel that love kind of uh, sort of is part of that middle way where the sort of blending of intimacy, which I think is not a bad word for love, and non-grasping, which is a pretty good word for wisdom, right? The wisdom of non-grasping. And the coming together of the intimacy and the letting go is really what the practice is about. And I'm, I'm guessing that we've experienced that in our life in different places, not everywhere in our life, of course. Right? We know the places where we have more space than we had 10 years ago, more equanimity, more capacity to, be, to sort of nimbly engage. Right? We're not in need or dependent on being, like I gotta stay away from that situation. We're able to show up and to participate but we don't feel as pushed around or weighed down by our participation. So it's nice to sort of identify those places where you've, where the sort of fruits of practice, this marriage of intimacy and non-grasping is starting to manifest because it can inspire us to sort of get interested in those places where it's not yet, you know, we're not that fluent where there is an intimacy, we don't really want to feel or see clearly. And we certainly haven't let go, right? We're attached, we have a fixed view. This is from uh, Venerable Yanaponika Tara, who died not that long ago. He was well into his 90s, and he was one of the early Westerners who went, in this case, he went to Sri Lanka um, I think uh, he was from Germany right before World War II, maybe in the 30s, and did a lot of important translating and just a wonderful, important teacher for those of us here in the West. And he wrote this about these four qualities of love, the four divine abodes. He wrote, love imports to equanimity its selflessness, its boundless nature, and even its fervor. Compassion guards equanimity from falling into cold indifference and keeps it from indolent or selfish isolation. Until equanimity has reached perfection, compassion urges it 
to enter again and again into the battlefields of life. Sympathetic joy gives to equanimity the mild serenity that softens its stern appearance. It is the divine smile on the face of the enlightened one. I like that last bit, (laughs) right? And this is, uh, you know, especially useful on retreat. It's like uh, more than the oatmeal in the morning. You know, one of the most important nutriments for surviving the retreat is recognizing moments of joy, which is not the same as looking for moments of joy, right? But recognizing joy, recognizing that natural movement of joy. So when the mind, when there's contact, some experience is being known, there's a natural, non-contrived sort of rejoicing. I mean, it doesn't have to be big. It could be really simple. And again, what we need to do is make sure out of habit that we're not blocking it because of some fixed view. Retreat, retreating is hard work. I have a lot of defilements. If we move through the retreat with those attitudes, you know, there but not being acknowledged, then they might suppress or uh, obscure ordinary moments of joy, appreciative joy, mudita, that might just be there. And then really notice, like when you do notice moments of joy, moments of tenderness, moments of friendliness, moments of that spacious equanimity, you know, that kind of beautiful, who knows? Who knows whether I'm a good yogi or a bad yogi? I'm having a good retreat or a bad retreat. The teaching team is a good teaching team or a bad teaching team. (laughs) You know, whether I should have taken vacation or come here. Who knows? But equanimity is like okay with the ambiguity. It's like it can embrace even that. Like that's true, I don't know. I don't know. And that's being known. And then notice the balancing effect when you do, when the wisdom awareness does recognize one of these beautiful qualities of heart. Like what's the actual effect in how the mind unfolds in the next moments? And you might notice, like I just, you know, we'll wrap it up here. That metaphor I used at the beginning, the honed and heavy axe, you might feel like you belong a little bit more in the moment, like that heft. And we, we sense that in samadhi. You know, samadhi has a lot of the qualities of love, that sense of belonging in the moment, non fear, non aversion non-rejection. There's a sense of growing roots into the moment. Not like we're a a visitor to a foreign place. Oh yeah, this is this life. I'll just end with uh, a quote from Ajahn Sumedha wrote this wonderful article that I've liked for a long time. 
It's in a book that Sharon Salzberg edited. Oh, I'm forgetting the title of it. It's a collection of different teachers. Um, But his article is called Nothing Left Out. And it's really his teaching on loving kindness or metta. And this is his last two paragraphs. And he writes, this is the process of changing our attitude from I don't like this in myself, I want to get rid of it, to, oh, so this is what I'm feeling. And having patience and a willingness to experience what is in the present moment. This is being willing to feel jealousy or anxiety and taking an interest in it as experience. Because that which is aware is not worried, is not angry, and is not the condition that is present. We start to develop confidence in this state of pure awareness. Awareness is like light. It has no color. It is not a thing you can objectify. You can't see awareness, but you can be aware. It is awareness that allows you to see, to know the conditions, to know that your experiences are the way they are, that anxiety, fear, worry, are like this. Through that patient attitude, the conditioned realm stops being an endless struggle to control or to get rid of things. Then as our practice develops, there's a sense of resting more and more in the silence of the mind, in that pure state of being in the present. You are investigating, finding out for yourself what really works, not just believing somebody else, or being inspired by the theory of it all, but actually practicing. It is direct knowledge, not speculation or knowing about Dharma, but knowing Dharma. So let's just take a few moments and let go of the words. for listening everyone. So we have about 30 minutes for movement, walking practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.